Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K, where together we can reimagine GI care. Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K. I'm Dr. Kaczynski. We're going to open the show today as we always do by stating that the goal of this series is to present you with a broad scope of value-based care issues, mainly involving the field of gastroenterology, but also outside of GI as well. In today's episode, we are continuing with the fourth and final episode of our series focused on value-based care solely from the view of the health plan. Our cleanup hitter for this series is Laura Fox, the Director of Payment Innovation for Blue Shield of California. In her role on the healthcare and community health transformation team at Blue Shield, Laura works with both internal and external partners to design, build, and test innovative ways to appropriately reward and incentivize providers to deliver care that, in her words, is worthy of our family and friends and is sustainably affordable. I love that line. Her previous experience includes serving as the Director of Chronic Disease Prevention for the Baltimore City Health Department and leading innovative food access initiatives. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, we're really happy to have you on today. First question, how would you describe the view of value-based care from the position of the health plan? So I don't think it's any different, the view of value-based care from the health plan, in that here at Blue Shield of California, we think about value-based care and have adopted, like many others, the Learning and Action Network definition of value-based care. It's really important in my perspective to have a common definition of what is value-based care so that when we talk in the industry of have you created a value-based model, we can actually say that it's met certain criteria that it is a value-based model or not. So from the health plan perspective, you know, I think we recognize that fee-for-service is broken. And it is not sustainable. And just paying for every visit in and out is not going to get us to the goals that we need for our members, so patients' health in their long term, nor affordability. Healthcare has to be affordable for those that buy it. And if the costs keep going up, it's going to get harder and harder for our members to pay for healthcare. And then the healthcare that they get isn't going to meet the mission. And you know, I, I had it in that bio you read, but one of our missions at Blue Shield of California is to create a healthcare system that's worthy of our family and friends and sustainably affordable. And I think that that's the mission of our organization. And so how do we align how we pay our physicians to align with the mission of our organization? And that we need to start shifting from fee-for-service and to pay for those outcomes that we really want for our members to reach their full health potential. So outcomes rather than just process. I love hearing that. Um, is there a difference whether you're taking risk versus whether you're acting as an administrator? And, and most of the Blue Cross plans that we've dealt with, the majority of their, their base are self-funded employers, and they are acting as an administrator over those, client, over those customers. Um, and then about a third, maybe a little over a third, you're actually taking risk as as a health plan does does your role difference in your role uh, have any effect on on how you view value-based care 
So I think overall, you have to think about it from the provider perspective, right? From their perspective, they also want to treat every member the same way. So how can you set up the infrastructure so that if it's your fully insured book of business or self-funded, that, you know, they're going to have the optimal health outcomes, that they're held responsible for the overall costs and quality. So I will say some many of our models, we launch first with our fully insured business. We test it out. We see how this is working. Um, but we're fairly confident, you know, as we have our results, that it, it should go to everyone. And I will tell you, our providers are saying, we can't tell the difference, right? Your members are your members. And so we want to do this for everyone. And if we're really going to change the healthcare system, you have to change it for everyone. Wow. That's, that's the best answer I could have hoped to hear. Um, so tell me about your biggest challenges. What, what, what keeps you up at night? What, what, what do you have to make happen for these things to succeed? So much keeps me up at night around value-based <laughs> care. Um, you know, I, I think some of the, uh, I'll, I'll give an example. So Blue Shield of California, we launched last year, our, we call it our primary care hybrid payment model. It's part of our primary care reimagine initiative. And it is an investment in primary care. It's a partial capitation model. We call it a hybrid model. So some things stay fee for service, some things become a per member per month for our primary care physicians. And it's an investment though. We add a pay for value fee and outcomes that they're rewarded for. And one of my physician partners puts it nicely. It's a, it's a tale of two practices. These practices will earn more money in this model. And yet adoption has been mixed. And some providers, when we come out to them, are like, yes, we've been waiting for this. Like, where have you been in my career? I want to get paid in steady revenue. We heard that after COVID, especially, that we need consistent revenue. We don't want to actually be paid fee-for-service anymore. That was a problem. But you have other docs and providers that have, it's muscle memory. I have been doing fee-for-service my entire career. It's just, this is how I do it. This is how I like to practice. And shifting to anything else, it doesn't feel right. And I think one of the things that we're up against, and we're working so hard with that too, and not wanting to change and trust. I think when you shift to value-based care, you actually have to trust the health plan even more because there's data that you have to provide. There's metrics, there's reporting, right? And historically, maybe that trust hasn't always been there. You show up at the table and both parties have their hands up and it's it, it's more adversary versus when in value-based care, you have to start to trust each other. And so how can we help our providers trust us in, in knowing that we're doing this for the right reasons and that we're doing this, it's not a trick, right? We're not doing this to hide anything. We're doing this because we think this will help transform and we think you are a part of the solution to help transform healthcare. And so building that trust and getting the adoption of these models that I have a brilliant team, uh, I'm lucky to lead this team that has been able to build. And part of it is just getting the providers to trust us enough to adopt it and try something new. And you're also working on whatever legacy reputation the, the health plan has had with the doctors in fee-for-service um, and establishing the new model. One of the things that helped us build trust when we first started Sonar mm -hmm. was when Blue Cross Illinois shared claims with us. I mean, the sharing of data yes. really, really made a difference because then we could actually see what was going on and 
if we felt that the, if the health plan trusted us enough to give us the claims data that we really did have a partner. Definitely. It's all about data transparency. And I will tell you, it's trying to build that internally from a health plan. You have to suddenly, you're built to like pay claims and suddenly you have to build infrastructure to share data, right? In a way that a provider, a partner is able to ingest and view and, and be able to take action from. That is a big change to how health plans have historically functioned, right? And so it's, it's starting to build that to be able to provide that trust. But you're right. It's that data and that new openness that hasn't been there before. Yeah. One of the other things I've learned with Sonar over the years is that we don't have an idea of what that expense is on the side of the health plan. When, when we say, can you share data with us? Well, that means that a number of steps have to be put into place inside the <laughs> health plan and all of those you know, cost, cost money. And the, the, yes. the providers probably aren't as knowledgeable as that as they should be. No, um, yeah, it costs a lot to send data outside of an organization, but I, I would hope that all of our members and, and would be so appreciative of the fact of almost all of the details and steps and regulations that we make sure we go through to send data out because we want to make sure all the data is always protected. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We owe that to the patients. Okay. So I asked you about your biggest challenges. What's been your biggest success? What are you the most proud of? You know, uh, it is not one of my programs that I, I help lead, but, you know, Blue Shield has had a really successful ACO program for over 10 years. They were this, one of the first innovators in the ACO space. We have both PPO and ACO, uh, excuse me, PPO and HMO ACOs in the state of California. Um, and in California, they're starting to launch the kind of the next round of what that ACO looks like. Um, and so I think from our health plan being out there, kind of early in that space was a, a great accomplishment. But personally, um, that primary care hybrid payment model has been one of my kind of greatest career achievements when it comes to value-based care. Really thinking about what do our providers need, um, especially coming out of COVID, primary care physicians, you know, if they needed that consistent revenue, they needed to be paid for outcomes, they needed the investment in them in order to really be maximizing the opportunity and to have as much as possible, you know, less burnout. How, how can we keep you going? Because they play such an important role in our healthcare ecosystem. You know, we're talking to other blues plans all the time around our primary care hybrid model. And there are unique factors that we built ourselves. We realized early on that a lot of times when you make a partial capitation model, you have to add risk adjustment. Well, none of the standard risk adjustment tools worked for what we needed. They were total cost of care. And we said, you know what? That doesn't make sense for primary care utilization. You know, we're going to have instances where we might overpay or many instances where we might underpay physicians for, you know, maybe a member with a chronic illness that needs to come in regularly if we're not paying them fee-for-service anymore. And so we actually built our own homegrown um, we call it a service intensity factor so that it really links directly to primary care utilization. And so I, I think it's needed to innovate even on the tools that we already have in place today too. So, so I understand this correctly. So the primary care doctor is not only capitated, they also have an access for fee-for-service 
for certain services. Correct. Correct. So we we call it a hybrid model because it's not full capitation. Um, you know, we didn't, we weren't ready to put a full capitation on an individual independent primary care physician. Yeah. They told us they didn't want that actually. They wanted certain services to be paid fee for service. And some things are really out of their control too. It wouldn't be fair, for example, for us to put immunizations within a capitation. They're not in control of maybe uh, suddenly a price of an immunization going up or down. It wouldn't be fair for them. And so things like that are stayed fee for service. But other elements, such as just routine visits, you know, your members are coming to you. You get consistent revenue for that. And so some things are within the PM, PM, the per member per month, and some things still get paid for service. That does sound innovative. I would imagine your, your specialists in that are still discounted fee for service. You know, our specialists are still fee for service. However, we had a long discussion yesterday about is this something that our specialists might want? Especially many of our, what I like, what we call maybe our primary care adjacent, adjacent specialists, right? That, you know, do manage some of these conditions. It's almost a primary care physician for some of our members that our members go to, not just for one visit. You might see a, a doc, a specialist for one visit. They talk to you and say, you know what, go back to your primary care. But those members that are really being treated is that something in a way that we should be thinking about for some of our specialists who manage, you know, patients who might see them a few times a year in a different way? You know, I always try to make ties to gastroenterology. So uh, yeah. please, please indulge me a little bit here. Um, so in the GI space, I could very definitely see a capitated payment for colonoscopy or a global payment for a bundled payment for colonoscopy. There's very little variation in that. You wanna, you wanna make sure you just pay a standard fee. But then on the, the disease management, like inflammatory bowel disease, you know, where you really have intense management, in that regard, maybe there, there should be some fee-for-service uh, involved there. So I, I, I could see a hybrid model on the specialty side as well for me, actually, with your example that you just gave, you know, definitely procedures, bundle payments, or episodes of care, for example, I think are great because it manages the full end-to-end -end spectrum. It's really time limited. But your example of if that patient's getting, if the capitation was the right amount, right, and that patient was getting treated, you know, a few times a year, maybe instead of fee-for-service for every time, it is like a, a larger cap with outcomes knowing that you want to reward for the management because you really are at that point managing their condition versus if someone just came once for you, maybe fee-for-service is more appropriate. But for some of these patients, maybe the physician might even really benefit for getting rewarded more for those outcomes of the inflammatory bowel disease that we would want to see from both the member perspective that their hair is in control and the health plan. Yeah, no, they definitely would. If if you look at the the typical inflammatory bowel disease patient, it's a forty thousand dollar per capita patient, and mm -hmm. the gastroenterologist who manages that patient, the primary care doctors really are not managing them. The the specialist is. Yeah. They generate about four hundred dollars, but right. they're making the decisions on that forty thousand. So yes. there there's definitely something that can be done there to build an outcomes-based relationship between the health plan and the provider 
uh, so that everybody wins. I'm going to pivot a second here to a question, one of the ones I gave you. If you were going to design the ideal value-based care proposal for a plan, what would it look like? What would be the necessary components? So I just want to say, I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all. And we have to really recognize that we're our providers and our network are different places. You have large health systems that maybe one type of model would be really successful there. You have independent or mid-sized practices, a, t- a different type of payment model would be successful. And then you have some very small practices that they might need something completely different. But overall, I think when I think about what an ideal value-based care is, it is moving away from straight fee-for-service. It's, it, it's paying for that care management and that relationship that especially in primary care, we want stickiness. We want the patient and the provider to have that sticky relationship with each other so that they come back and that they want to have someone accountable and that someone follows up with their care management and that we pay for the outcomes that we want to see. And as part of that, we generally have three components in our outcomes for our incentives for our providers. Generally, some sort of utilization, ER metric or inpatient, some key quality outcome metrics, sometimes process metrics if they make sense in that specialty, and then a member experience component. And I think from the providers, it's very controversial. They uh, don't always love that we include that in there. But you know what? It's so important that the member's voice is in these payment models. That And whether that is just a survey right now, but over time is a patient-reported outcome, that their opinion about their experience, whether it be a treatment of a disease, a surgery, just general care, that that matters. That matters to us as a health plan. Um, And so that actually is a component in how we reward our providers for their outcomes. We we have podcast sessions with patient advocates. And it's very, very interesting when I ask this type of question to the patient advocate, you know, how do you view value? We hear a totally different viewpoint than we do when we ask the providers. And, you know, from the patient's point of view, they want to be able to get their care when they need it. They, they, they don't want their time wasted. They certainly don't want their money wasted. And we hear over and over and over again that the patients don't feel like anybody's really focused on what value is for them. So I applaud you in adding that component. You, you, we have to, because we're in business for the, we're all in business for the patients. They, they are the ultimate, most important component. Um, so we often hear uh, that GI is not in our focus this year from health plans. So how does the health plan decide What's in focus? Well, uh, I will tell you, at Blue Shield, we we this year we launched a, a GI two GI episodes of care uh, for colonoscopy and endoscopy. But you know what we look at for what's in focus is we've actually built the decision matrix, um, and we look at different areas of variation. How is the variation in cost between our kind of providers and care? What is the co- what with the cost? What does that look like? What do the outcomes look like? You know, are, is, are there outcomes difference in emergency room visits, uh, key metrics? You know, is there variation or is it pretty steady 
right? Because sometimes it's about reducing that variation. We think about size. If we're going to launch something, how many providers and members will this impact? Um, and, and then we just look at also opportunity, both in cost savings and quality outcomes. And so it, it, it's a, I would say, a difficult sometimes to decide where you're going to focus because honestly, in the end, we're going to have to focus on everything. And so it's where's almost the low hanging fruit to start. And then what can you learn and build from um, and take to some of these other specialties? Yeah, that all makes sense. And looking at the GI space, even though inflammatory bowel disease is only a little over 1% of the population, it's responsible for 50% of the variable costs for the entire GI space. So uh, it, it makes sense to focus on your high variability. And I'm sure if IBD was affecting 10% of the population, that, that would be a given that it would be a major priority. Um, but if we're going to manage, we have to manage the conditions that need management. And those are the ones that have the, the high variable cost. Makes total sense, total sense. I'm gonna break here for a second. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Scope with Dr. K. Our guest today is Laura Fox, the Director of Payment Innovation for Blue Shield of California. Laura, my next question has to do with um, population health entities. Many health plans and even CMS today hold the view that value-based care is a means to transfer their risk onto large population health entities like ACOs. And you mentioned ACOs as a major, as a major success. Uh, do you see this as the viable strategies? Many ACOs have not demonstrated significant cost savings over the long run, especially hospital-based ACOs. Um, and specialists aren't held at risk in these ACOs. So I'd love to hear you give me your vision of how you see risk being transferred onto large population-based total cost of care models. Do you see that as the future? What I will say is it depends. So first you always have to make sure to provide enough data for someone to really be able to take downside risk on. They have to feel comfortable. Um, I, I will tell you why actually I challenged my team this week to send me as many articles they could, not because of this question on, show me where the evidence is that downside risk leads to greater success, mm. right? I got one. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just going to be really frank. I don't know. I think we, we think that moving to downside risk is the gold standard, but I think that We've seen examples across the country of where just opportunities for savings, it makes it a little bit more of a team effort, right? Like, let's do this, you know, let's be successful. Um, but I think that there is some behavioral economics, especially with those large systems that have the ability to say, we need you to do more. We need you to think creatively. And, and sometimes having that component for downside risk, that's capped. It's, it's gotta be reasonable. 
right? It can't just be you're on the hook for everything, right? right? It's got to be thoughtful in how you do it that we'll see more transformation. You know, I, I don't know if, if CMS is seeing the same results. You know, we, we read a paper recently um, on when CMS switched to include models with downside risk that a lot of ACOs dropped out. They were still successful, but there's a nervousness. And I actually also think coming out of COVID right now, there's even more apprehension around overall change. But that being said, the healthcare system's not sustainable. And we have to do something different. And so if that means those that might be able to take on downside risk, take on downside risk, then I, I think we're going to have to see what comes of it um, to have all of us play a role and be accountable in the value-based care game. Yeah. A couple of years ago, we put together 1,200 gastroenterologists around the country uh, to participate in a BPCI bundled you know, payment for care improvement oh, yeah. project around inflammatory bowel disease. And so the doctors were all willing to participate and Sonar was willing to be the aggregator. But when we looked at the potential downside risk of it and our lack of control over that downside risk, mm-hmm. we, we elected to not proceed. So I agree with you. We would have loved to have had one where there was a there could have been a little bit of downside risk, but maybe, maybe limited. Yeah. We would have been more willing to go forward with it, but the way it was constructed, it was just way too dangerous for us to do it because we didn't have control over everything. Yeah. I think you need a glide path, right? You need to start and people have to feel comfortable that they can be successful. You're not going to just change it up on them halfway through, you know, what does this mean? How can I really perform in this? And then you can up the game. You know, uh, sometimes leaders are like, we need downside risk and everything. And I'm like, you know, that also means you need a bigger upside. You've got to have risk and reward. You've got mm-hmm. to be willing that if you put risk in, that you have a greater reward for someone to earn, right? And so there is that actually potential that it actually costs more, right? For so the meeting the outcomes you want, if you also include risk. In a way, sometimes not having risk and you only pay if there's savings, maybe you actually don't even end up putting out quite as much too. Well, Thank you very much, Laura. Thank you for being on. Thank you for the audience for tuning in. You can learn more about the show on the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com and lend your voice to the conversation with us on Twitter at HCNowRadio. Be sure to follow Sonar on Twitter at SonarMD. We're bringing, bringing patients, providers, and payers together to reimagine GI care. Until next time, I'm Dr. K. Stay well. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. K. Tune in with me next time to reimagine the scope of GI care. If we build it, they will join.